So what do you talk about the first Sunday back? On a Sunday where we are honoring our graduates, what do we talk about today? Well, I thought today we would talk about what it means to have intimacy with God. I'm going to ask you, if you will, please take your Bibles and turn to 1 Kings chapter 8. Now, we'll be bouncing around there a bit, and uh, I'll kind of uh, fill you in as we go along. There should be an outline in your bulletin as well, if you want to take some notes this morning. And uh, what I want to talk about this morning is what was going on in 1 Kings. First of all, I'd like to talk about a construction project, as it were, that was, most argu- that was arguably the most significant construction project in the history of the world. And we're going to talk, and my first point this morning is this, construction and relocation. Now, you need to understand what's going on at this point in 1 Kings. Uh, Seven years had passed since the construction of the temple in Jerusalem had begun. Seven years. Mike, did it ever take you seven years to build a house? No? That's good. Seven years would be too long, wouldn't it? I would think so. Every detail of David's plan for the temple that God gave David, every detail of his plan was coming to fruition. The furnishings, the inlaying of gold over things, the ornamentation. David had it in his heart that he would build a temple for the Lord. But God told Solomon, God told David that Solomon would be the one to complete it when he was king. So David presented the plans to Solomon. The size of every room, the materials that they needed to be used, uh, they were going to, all the wood would be used, uh, would be cedar wood from Lebanon, Lebanon, the cedars of Lebanon. There were specifications of how the construction would take place. They didn't want to desecrate the temple site, so they said the sound of the cutting of stones would never take place where the temple was to be built. So every stone they cut, they cut at another location, and then they brought it over. And in my brain, I just think, they bring it over, and it's like, we're off just a little bit right here, right? And you got to take the stone back and shave it off and bring it back. But all part of that was to honor God and to honor God's house. Seven years they had waited for this day, Seven years and the temple was finally complete. And it was time for Israel to dedicate the temple. And the entire nation of Israel was assembled for this special event. Scripture tells us that Solomon stood before the people and he spread his hands towards heaven and he started to pray. Now, what sort of prayer would you offer at such an occasion? This building of this temple signified a new chapter in Israel's history and their relationship with God. This is the first time that such an elaborate temple was built for the Lord. And finally, there would be a permanent place for the Ark of the Covenant. You see, they had a a temporary tabernacle with tents and everything that they kept the Ark of the Covenant in. But now... The Ark of the Covenant would have a permanent home. So, there was Solomon, standing before God and Israel, 
and he began to pray. Now, this is a very interesting event because this is unusual. Because usually at a, a big event like this or a dedication, normally a priest <clears throat> excuse me, or a prophet would have handled such a duty, not the king. But why did Solomon choose to pray? You know, he's the king. He can come in and say, hey, guys, I got this one, right? He's the king. He can do it. But why? Why did Solomon choose to pray here? There must have been a reason. What was so important to Solomon that he had to see to it that the right prayer was committed to God? What did he, what was on Solomon's mind that was such a momentous, on such a momentous and historic occasion? Well, I'm glad you asked. So I want to look at Solomon's prayer. Solomon starts his prayer by glorifying God and praising God for his faithfulness. He thanks God for bringing the construction of the temple to completion. And then we come to Solomon's prayerful request. So I'm in, I'm in 1 Kings chapter 8, and I'm going to start in verse 28. So follow along, if you will, please. And this is what he said. Listen to my prayer and my request, O Lord my God. Hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is making to you today. May you watch over this temple both day and night, this place where you have said you would put your name. May you always hear the prayers I make toward this place. May you hear the humble and earnest requests from me and your people Israel when we pray towards this place. Yes, hear us from heaven where you live, and when you hear, forgive. Solomon's greatest concern was prayer. His prayers and the prayers of all of Israel. He prays that his prayers will always be heard by God. And then he prays the same for all the prayers that will ever be offered up in this temple. That they will all be heard by God. Through his prayer, he is exhorting Israel to be a praying nation. Prayer was the greatest concern for Solomon. And it was what was on his heart. Because Solomon understood the, the power and the importance of prayer. In 1 Kings chapter 3, it says this. It says, O Lord my God, you have made me king instead of my father David. This is Solomon speaking. But I am like a little child who doesn't know his way around. Give me an understanding so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great nation of yours? The Lord was pleased with Solomon's reply and was glad that he had asked for wisdom. So God replied, I will give you what you ask for. I will give you a wise and understanding mind such as no one else has ever had or ever will have. Do you realize what God has blessed Solomon with? He has made him the wisest man who's ever lived or whoever will live. Why is that important? Because being such a man of wisdom, Solomon understood that the key to Israel's success was an intimate relationship with God. Whenever Israel got in trouble, it was when they would abandon their faith in God. They would lose that intimacy with God, and then everything would go haywire for Israel. Spend, spend some time in the book of Judges, and you'll see that. That Israel is doing well, Israel is prosperous, Israel is great, and then all of a sudden everything goes... Pfft. And why? Because they've drifted away from God. Then Israel comes back to God, and everything is great again, and then everything is great, and then they start fading, 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 and everything falls apart again. Then they come back to God, and I mean, that's what the book of Judges basically is. It's a continuous cycle. 
It's a continuous cycle. Solomon understood the importance of prayer and how it affected Israel's relationship with the Lord. This temple that they had spent seven years building needed to be a house of prayer. And he also understood that this place was more than just a building. It was God's dwelling place. In his temple, Israel was the very presence of God. And this temple was a reminder of what God had done for them and a reminder that God was watching over them and a reminder that they could have a relationship and have intimacy with God. There's no better place than to be in the presence of God. Amen? Solomon wanted all of Israel to understand that. It was something his father understood. In Psalm 63, look what, look what David said. He said, God, you are my God. I earnestly search for you. My soul thirsts for you. My whole body longs for you in this parched and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in your sanctuary and gazed upon your power and your glory. Or look at the words of Psalm 42 that says, As the deer pants for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. I thirst for God, the living God. When can I come and stand before you? Look at Psalm 84. It says this. It says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. I long, yes, I faint with longing to enter the courts of the Lord. With my whole being, body and soul, I will shout joyfully to the living God. How happy are those who can live in your house always singing your praises. Do you hear the longing? Do you hear the passion? Do you hear that desire and that need to be in God's presence? So here's the big question I have for you today. And I thought this was very appropriate for you graduates. Here's my big question. You ready? Do you have the kind of long, that kind of longing to be in the Lord's presence? As we read David's words, do you have that same kind of longing? As we read Solomon's prayer, do you have that same kind of desire to be in the presence of Lord? I'll be honest with you, I'm not sure I do have that kind of passion. There are times I do, but I am not constantly thirsting. I'll be honest. It goes up and down. But you know what? I want that. I want that kind of in intimacy that at any moment, at any time, at any day, I can look to God and I can have that kind of passion and that desire for intimacy. But here's the great question also. Why don't we have that kind of longing for the Lord or that kind of longing to be with God, that kind of longing to be intimate with God? Well, this morning I have to share, I believe that there are four syndromes that can, we can suffer from that cause us to miss out on this important benefit of prayer. If you don't know who that is, that's syndrome from Incredibles. the Incredibles. Thank you. So there's four syndromes. Now, there are, I'm sure there's more than just four syndromes that we can suffer from that cause us to not benefit from prayer. But I'm going to focus on four today. So the first reason we miss out on intimacy with God through prayer is we suffer from what I call limited purpose syndrome. Now what does that mean? It means we can get caught in the trap of thinking the only purpose for prayer is petition and intercession. Okay, God, here's my shopping list. Here's what I want. Here's what I need. 
I will admit, when I was a kid, that's how I prayed. I had a long laundry list that I prayed every night to God for. Here are the people that I care about, and, and here's my prayer for them. And God, here's all the things I need. Here's all the things I want. You, you see that with a kid a lot of times when they pray. And they'll pray for one specific thing. But the truth is, as adults, we can get caught up the same way, can't we? When we're coming to God and we're just praying for one thing, one thing, one thing, one thing, what happens is we can get so consumed by a situation or so consumed by a circumstance that it dominates our prayer life and our relationship with God isn't complete. If I loaned Carl $5 and every time I saw him, the first thing I said was, you got my five bucks? How does that start? the conversation. It's not a good thing. Or maybe, hey Carl, do you got any money for me? Well, sometimes I say that because he's the treasurer. So that's maybe not a good example. Dale, <laughs> do you have any money for me? I mean, if somebody came to you with that all the way, do you have this for me? Do you have that for me? Do you have this for me? Do you have that for me? We can get consumed by something and our prayer life is not right and our relationship with God is not right. The second syndrome is what I call, whoops, oh, I had a cute little picture of a kid praying, sorry. The second syndrome is the in case of emergency syndrome. Let me explain. This is when we only come to God when we're having problems or we are in trouble, where we say, okay, God, if you get me out of this one, I promise I will, yeah, right? There was an episode of MASH where a patient asked to see the priest, Father Mulcahy, and he's, he said, how can I help you, son? And he said, well, I was in a foxhole with some guys, and I thought I was going to die. And I said, God, if you get me out of this, I'll become a priest. And Father Mulcahy looked at him and said, and God got you out. And the guy said, yep, and I don't want to be a priest. Sometimes we'll make promises, uh, God, get me out of this. And we come to God only when things seem to be falling apart or uh, we, we seem to be surrounded by chaos. And those are the only times we come to God. But I've heard some say that prayer needs to be our steering wheel as we drive down this road of life. But all too often we only use prayer as a spare tire. God does not want, God does, does want us to come to him when we are troubled, but he also wants to hear from us when things are great. Duh. Part of a relationship is not only sharing your struggles, but sharing your victories as well. Think about this. If you had a relationship with someone who all they ever did was complain and gripe and moan about everything that's wrong, that relationship would be short-lived. Do you ever have those certain people, your phone rings and you see who it is and you go, I don't know if I have the strength today. Be mindful of that in our relationships, but be mindful of that even more in our relationship with God. We don't want, God doesn't want our relationship to be, oh God, I'm in trouble again. He wants to hear that, but he wants to hear the good stuff. How often do we say, God, if you get me out of this, and God does, and then we don't take time to praise God and thank him. So, that's the in case of emergency syndrome. The third reason we miss out on intimacy with God through prayer is we suffer from what I call the one-way street syndrome. 
This is when all communication is only going one way. Look what it says in Luke chapter 5. It says that the report of Jesus' power spread even faster and vast crowds came to hear him preach and to be healed of their diseases. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. Now why did Jesus need to get alone so often to pray? Because he desired to maintain fellowship with the Father. He needed intimacy with God. Now, I'm not discounting the importance of bringing our burdens, our cares, our needs, our concerns for others, and everything else to the Lord, but these are just a part of, the li of our lives, our prayer lives, which we can develop that relationship with the Lord and have intimacy with Him. Friends, a big part of prayer is waiting on the Lord for His guidance and direction. And when you're waiting for God's guidance and direction, you have to shut up. You cannot listen and talk at the same time, right? It's a reality. Part of prayer is waiting on, on the Lord, hearing from the Lord. To be honest with you, that's one of the reasons I love fishing so much. And sometimes I really love fishing by myself. Because that's a lot of time of just quiet and listening to God. We need to take time to get away from distractions and listen to the Lord. If we spend all our time telling God what we want, when are we listening? That brings us to the fourth syndrome. I know you're excited to see what the fourth one is. It is the most critical one of all. We can suffer from stuck-in-the-present syndrome, which means we can get so focused on the here and now that we lose sight of the eternal. Our district superintendent uh, sent out a message to us as pastors as we were getting ready to open up and there were still concerns about when our church is going to open up and some churches were saying you know we're going to do it anyhow blah 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 and he said I want to caution and remind you that as Christians we do not fight for our rights we fight for the gospel and it was a reminder to all of us to keep things in perspective and not get caught up in other things we can get so focused on the here and now we lose sight of the eternal when we pray, it helps us to keep things in perspective. And as we spend time with the Lord, we start to take our focus from the things which are temporary and put our focus on the things which last forever. D.L. Moody said this. He said, a Christian on his knees sees more than the philosopher on his tiptoes. This is why we must start everything we do with prayer. It keeps things in perspective. It reminds us why we are doing it and what we are hoping to accomplish. In the midst of all the unrest in our country right now, I've been constantly asking God, what is my part? Because my perspective is eternal, or trying to be eternal, and seeing how God sees all of this. I want to read you a quote from A.W. Tozier that showed up in a, a publication of Alliance Life many years ago. And this is what he said. He said, we who follow Christ are men and women of eternity. We must put no confidence in the passing scenes of the disappearing world. We must resist every attempt of Satan to palm off upon us the values that belong to mortality. Nothing less than forever is long enough for God, or for us. God has set eternity in our hearts, and we have chosen time instead. 
He is trying to interest us in a glorious tomorrow, and we are settling for an inglorious today. We are bogged down in local interest and have lost sight of eternal purposes. We improvise and muddle along, hoping for heaven at last, but showing no eagerness to get there. Correct in doctrine, but weary of prayer and bored with God. Ouch. Tozer wrote that many years ago. He could have wrote it yesterday, huh? Sadly, too often we all lose our perspective or our desire and passion for prayer because we miss the greatest purpose of prayer, which is to develop intimacy with God. So, where do we start? Where do we start? How do we develop the kind of prayer life which draws us into such an intimate relationship with the Lord? I think Nike has it right. Just do it. We need to just do it. I'm not going to give you some magical scripture passage or some amazing quote or some really creative intellectual insight. Chuck Swindoll says, do it till you love it. It's as simple as that. We could talk for hours about all the reasons that we need to pray. We could spend days looking at scriptures that encourage us to pray. But we aren't going to develop, to develop a relationship with the Lord that can only be developed <coughs> through... <coughs> Excuse me. We're, we aren't going to develop a relationship with the Lord that can only be developed through prayer unless we pray. Now, I have to tell you, friends, it isn't easy, is it? It requires discipline and commitment, but the rewards are definitely worth the effort. We need to know God. That's where it starts. When we look at all we hope for God to do through us and through our church, it starts with knowing Him. You young teenage, you teenagers, I shouldn't say young teenagers, you graduates, with every step of your life forward from here, you need to look to God and have a relationship with Him. Everything you want to accomplish in life starts with knowing God. God calls us to prayer to have a close, intimate relationship with Him. And until we know Him, we will never be able to see the world through His eyes. And if we all could see things through the eyes of our Lord, there would be no obstacle that could get in the way of us being used for His glory. Let's go back to the book of, of 1 Kings again. At the completion of his prayer, Solomon prayed to God. Then he turned and he blessed the people. And this is what he said. He said this, May the Lord our God be with us as he was with our ancestors. May he never forsake us. May he give us the desire to do his will in everything and to obey, to obey all the commands, laws, and regulations that he gave our ancestors. And may these words that I have prayed in the presence of the Lord be before him constantly day and night so that the Lord our God may uphold my cause and the cause of his people Israel, fulfilling all our daily needs. May people all over the earth know that the, that the Lord is God and that there is no other God. That's awesome. Friends, may the Lord be with us so that he may be glorified through us. This is my prayer for us as well. May we have intimacy with the Lord so that he may be glorified through us, friends. Because the God who Solomon prayed to in the temple that day is the same God who hears our prayers today. 
The same God who guided and directed the nation of Israel desires to have an intimate relationship with each one of us. I want to close this morning by finishing that quote from A.W. Tozer, which I read a little bit ago. This is how he finished the quote. He said this, As we move into deeper personal acquaintance with the triune God, I think our life, emphasis, our life emphasis will shift from the past and the present to the future. Slowly we will become children of a living hope and sons of a sure tomorrow. Our hearts will be tender with memories of yesterday and our lives sweet with gratitude to God for the sure way we have come. But our eyes will be focused more and more upon the blessed hope of tomorrow. Friends, having an intimate, having an intimate relationship with God will give us vision, will give us purpose, will give us hope, and will give us peace. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray as Solomon prayed this morning <clears throat> that each of us would have an intimate relationship with you through our prayer life, through all that we are, Lord. May we seek you in all things. May we serve you in all ways. And we, may we glorify you at all times, Lord. So as we go, may we go in the strong name of Jesus Christ, empowered by your Holy Spirit, carrying the message of the gospel, the hope for all mankind. And all God's people said, Amen. Have a blessed day. Please take a moment and congratulate our graduates before you go today.